0: If you will, take your Bibles and turn to the passage you see on the screen, Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, a message entitled, Who Am I? Let's stand together as we honor God's Word. If you're looking at the Pew Bible, haven't found it, it's on page around 846. Mark writes, When he entered Capernaum after some days... Excuse me. When he entered Capernaum again after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many people gathered together that there were, was no more room, not even in the doorway. And he was speaking the message to them. Then they came to him bringing a paralytic carried by four men. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd... They removed the roof above where he was, and when they had broken through, they lowered the stretcher on which the paralytic was lying. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sin but God alone? Right away, Jesus understood in His spirit that they were reasoning like this within themselves. Now I want to pause a second and say, Do you realize what this means? This be, they didn't speak out loud; they were just thinking it. Might be a lesson for us. And said to and He said to them, Why are you reasoning these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, pick up your stretcher, and walk? But, so you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, pick up your stretcher, and go home. Immediately he got up, picked up his stretcher, and went out in front of, in front of everyone. As a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will take your word today. And that you will press your word down into our hearts and lives. I pray that you will press it down until we can no longer avoid it. And when we come in contact with your word, I pray that, it'll do it, that it will do its perfect work in our lives. In your name I pray, amen. A message entitled, Who Am I? One of my mom's favorite songs, if not the most favorite of her life, was Rusty Goodman's old gospel song, Who Am I? It seems that somehow mom really picked up on the magnitude of God and on the magnitude of his love for her and how he looked beyond her fault and he saw her need. And from the first time she heard that song on the gospel singing Jubilee, how many of you remember that? Don't raise your hands. You're going to tell how old you are. From the first time she heard Rusty sing that song on the gospel singing Jubilee, it became, her, it became the song of her life. Who am I? For those uninformed and too young to know, here's the, what the words of the chorus say. Who am I that a king would bleed and die for? Who am I that he would pray not my will, thine Lord the answer I may never know why he ever loved me so that to an old rugged cross he'd go for who am I now I will tell you this we will know one day we will those who are redeemed and born again will know one day but may I say this to you the fact that Jesus God's own son Left heaven, came to earth, lived a perfect life, died, suffered, punished for my sin, for me, should be the most humbling and sobering knowledge that we have and know. Now, Brother Jerry, how are you going to make that tie to here? When we arrive at Mark chapter 2, a lot of things go through our mind. There are so many ways to approach this text. Um, verse 5, it says, seeing their faith. We could approach this text from the faith of those four men who brought him to Jesus. We could approach it from the standpoint of the paralytic who was indeed to change man and certainly we will get to some of that today. But today, I want you to just kind of look around the house. I want, to, I want you to picture this house where Jesus, it says he was at home in Capernaum. Look around this house People are matted in like flies. Obviously, the leper in chapter 1 had done his business and gone about the countryside and told everyone about what Jesus did for him. Obviously, they had heard about the teaching in the synagogue. They had heard about the uh, exorcism in the synagogue. They had heard about all these things. And now they were there matted together. And as Jesus is teaching in this house... He hears a skirmish outside. Obviously, somebody's trying to get in. But he doesn't see anybody make their way in. So the skirmish settles down, and the next thing you know as he is teaching, somebody, it sounds like the roof is coming off the house. Somebody's tearing the roof off the house. And then, stunningly, the sunlight appears through. The hole gets bigger. And all of a sudden, on a mat with four ropes... A paralytic is placed before Jesus. As we think about that house, I want to talk to you about six groups of people. And as we talk about six groups of people that are that we can identify in and around that house, which one's you? Who are you? In fact, I almost started this, entitled this message, Which Group Do I Belong To? Who are you today? Everything said, everything that comes from God's word today points to a finger at you, points for at me. Who am I? Six groups. Let's start. The first group that I see here is what I call the crowd. The crowd. I mean, it was standing room only. They were matted in there like flies. But why in the world are the people here? Well, I've already said, they've heard from the leper. They've heard about Jesus' reputation, the exorcism, the miracles, the teaching, and more. And you know what they've come to do? They came to see the show. Keep the miracles coming. In fact, you know what? I almost entitled this. You can write it down if you're writing down. They may not be the crowd. They may be the curious. They're just curious to see what Jesus is doing. Because you see, the crowd by and large had no intent of following Jesus. They, they would never consider leaving their nets. They would never consider leaving their tables. They would never consider leaving anything to follow Jesus. All they wanted to do was come and see the show. They were just curious enough to be there and see what Jesus was going to do. At the risk of being highly offensive, if I am, maybe the Lord will use it as a knife in our hearts. I fear at this point right here, there is so much parallelism with that crowd, those curious in that house, and the people today. Even among self proclaimed followers of Christ, people are more, I wonder if people are more interested in seeing the show than following Jesus. We want to see the miracles instead of follow. We want to see the miracles instead of submit. We want to see the miracles instead of becoming like Jesus. And I'm just going to say this to you. The crowd, as opposed to popular opinion, the crowd is not a good place to be. We have a flawed view of the crowd, the majority today. Because I want to warn you, Cast your cares and your trust on the crowd. You'll find the crowd to be fickled. You'll, you'll find the crowd that they can't be trusted. I mean, in our democratic process, we think the majority rules, so the majority must be right. Hello? If we want to get political, I could say we found out better last November. I'll just tell you the crowd has little or no conscience. The crowd just wants what they want at the beginning of time. Now, I want to just tell you this. The crowd can be intimidating. And we use the crowd to try to intimidate because we believe the crowd's right most of the time. If you don't believe it, you'd be, you be having a discussion with somebody and somebody's displeased with something. You know what they'll say? Well, they say, lots of people. Can I just give you a tool? The next time somebody's trying to convince you of something that you know better than and they just keep saying, they say, lots of people say, okay, lots of people. Yeah, lots of people. Okay. Outside of your immediate family and your closest five friends, name me six people. Hello? It'll turn... the. The stage of the, of the whole matter. This discovery will be huge. The outlook will turn because a crowd is non-committal. A crowd is yo-yo. A crowd will get you nowhere. Some of you remember the name Sonny Jurgensen. Washington Redskins quarterback. Story is told about Sonny. They won a big game one week and they lost a game they should have won the next week. So one week you can imagine Sonny was the hero, and the next week he was the heel. And in the after-game uh, press conference, one of the one of the um, reporters said, "Sonny, don't you ever tire of this yo-yo nature of the press?" And Sonny said, uh, "Nah, I've been here long enough to know that each week you're in the penthouse or the outhouse." Such is the nature of the crowd. The crowd's not who to pitch your tent with. May I just say this to you from a biblical perspective? The Bible says it is the crowd that is going the wrong direction. Jesus said, Broad is the way, wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and many who are going there. And I remind you in the life of Jesus, the crowd went from crown him to crucify him in less than a week. The crowd was there. They were the curious. They were the ones looking. But they were also the second group. That's the concerned. The concerned. Scripture tells us down in verse 3 that then they came to him bringing a paralytic. They came to him. That indicates to me that it was more than just the four men. He was carried by the four men but there were some other folks accompanying them, bringing him to Jesus. This is a group of people that I call the concerned people. The people who are really concerned. Now, if I were to take a poll in this church uh, worship center this morning, 90 or 100% of the people would say, Yeah, I'm concerned. I'm concerned. Most people will say they're concerned, but rarely does the person become so concerned that they are moved to action. You see, when we're really concerned in our heart, we are moved to action. These four men, if I finish verse 3, it says, Carried by four men. These four men were the concern. They would stop at nothing to get this man to Jesus because they knew this man needed Jesus. They knew that Jesus had the answer, and so their concern turned into determination. They would not accept no. Now, we don't accept no as an answer about some things. Hello? We don't quite have enough money to go on that vacation we want. So we'll either take out a loan or go get another credit card because I deserve this vacation. We won't take no for an answer. Some of us won't take no for our kids and our grandkids in sports. My child's not getting enough playing time, coach. And so you go and make sure that coach knows just how bad he needs to play your child or your grandchild. Won't take no... from. There's another part of this too. Your child don't want to play the sport that you want him to play. And so he's going to play it. How many of you... I no, don't raise your hand. This is rhetorical. Your kid comes and says, I don't want to play football. I don't want to play basket... basketball. I don't want to play baseball. I, I still want to play. I don't have any interest. Well, you're going to play. And you know what I've discovered as a former coach and now watching as a youth minister and a pastor for all these years? Most of the time, those parents want to play their ball through their kids. Won't take no for an answer. And those same kids, bless God, those same kids, their parents go, Oh, preacher, I'm not going to force them into Jesus. I'm not going to force them to church. I'm not going to force them to have faith. I'm going to let them make their own decisions. And we really find out what we're really concerned about. I suggest to you that in the matter of spiritual terms, in the matter of eternity, we give up way too easily. An authentic concern leads people to overcome obstacles. True concern leads people to action. Leads people to outreach. Leads people to start new classes. Leads people to reach people. So I ask you today: Are you concerned? Are you concerned? Are you willing to tear a roof off that somebody can find their way to Jesus? Well, Brother Jerry, we never did it that way before. I can guarantee you there's not another roof been tore off before this one. How concerned are you to get your family to Jesus? How concerned are you to get your neighbors, your friends to Jesus? Listen. Sometimes it takes work. Sometimes it takes an effort. Sometimes you have to change a schedule. Sometimes you have to give the Lord his due. So I asked you, don't say this publicly, on a scale of 1 to 10, how concerned are you? I mean, think about this story. This guy had been a paralytic quite likely all of his life. He'd been carried somewhere all of his life. Whenever he got to go anywhere, somebody had to carry him. And these men heard about an answer. And now they brought this man and he is in front of Jesus. They tore the roof off and they lowered him down and laid him in front of Jesus. Now the story really gets interesting. Interesting. Wouldn't you think that Jesus would know what to do? Wouldn't you think he knows what to say? I mean, he's Jesus for crying out loud. And then he says the wrong thing. I'll tell you an observation about my relationship to Jesus. He rarely does things the way that I really think he should. Y'all do know that, don't you? Old Testament says he's a great counselor. And I always have to remember that he's the great counsellor and not the great Lee. Y'all get the drift there? He's supposed to be telling me what to do instead of me telling him what to do. He speaks. Son, your sins are forgiven. And immediately it reveals another crowd there. It's a crowd that you don't want to be a part of. But it is a crowd that, bless God, some people can't help themselves. We call them the contentious. The contentious. These are the ones that are the habitual fault finders. It says there, but some of the scribes were sitting there. Oops. Religious people. Church people. And they were thinking to themselves, they wouldn't say this out loud. Cause they were going to cause problems. The undercurrent. The contentious. This is an overused, overworked story, but I love it because it's so funny and makes the point so well. Back in the days of Prohibition, you remember that the Prohibition was uh, came about because of the Women's Temperance League. Y'all remember that? Are you asleep? The Women's Temperance League. And one day, the leading lady of the... uh, So goes the story. One day, this leading lady gave a talk. About prohibition and the and the biblical aspects of prohibition and Jesus's take on prohibition, and she got through with this impassioned plea, and she stepped down, and a, a minister walked up to her and said, uh, "Ma'am, no disrespect intended, you do remember that Jesus turned the water into wine, don't you?" And she said, "Yeah, I know that, and I'd have thought a lot more of him if he hadn't have done it." You see, the truth is, the truth is, even as we just listen to humorous stories, even in the midst of a a funny story, we have to admit that we can find habitual fault finders, the the contentious. This needy man was brought to Jesus. He had a need. He needed to be uh, uh, healed. But He was brought to the very Lord. And, 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 and when the Lord said, Your sins are forgiven, the fault the finders are thinking, Did Jesus really say that? Why did He have to say that? Who does He think He is? seems to me that Jesus doesn't do things to please us. Can I say that again? It seems to me that Jesus' goal is not to please He does it his way. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He does it according to his word, his timing, his desire, his will. And when he does it his way, please listen. It always upsets the religious, the pharisaical, and the contentious. Now, somebody will say, Brother Jerry, you think... You think we can get rid of the contentious? No, I think the contentious is going to be here forever and a day. Seems like those folks who always want to find fault will be able to find it when things don't happen like they want it to. But I will say this to you, it also seems to me that the most contentious are just like found in the second chapter of Mark. The most contentious are the most religious. When religion becomes your god, you've re- you've replaced Jehovah God. Jesus was in here in this house. He was teaching. Now he was healing. Now he was forgiving. Jesus came was doing what he came to do. And they got upset. And that brings me to a group that I think are here that are not necessarily mentioned. That is the compassionate. The compassionate. Think about it. They were in the house. The roof began to disintegrate. Can you imagine the whispers as the mat was lowered down? I can hear a lady going, Oh, look. Oh, look. That's a crippled man. Yeah, that's Joe. He's never been able to walk. What are they doing? Oh, that's so sad. I believe the compassion, the compassionate were present. But I want to say this to you. I don't believe anybody was more compassionate than the one who was standing front and center teaching and who they wanted to put that man in front of. I don't think anybody was more compassionate than Jesus. You see, Jesus was always... Moved with compassion. When you read the Scripture, you find that He saw the multitude. There were sheep without a shepherd and He was moved with compassion. He saw the leper. He was moved with compassion. He saw the paralytic. I believe from the core of my being, He was moved with compassion. He sees you in your sin and He is Moved with compassion. He sees you on your way to a place called hell. He is moved with compassion. And His compassion always moves Him to take action. Jesus was always concerned enough to be moved with compassion. So, if you and I are His, if you and I are becoming like Him when we see someone in need we are not moved with disdain or disrespect we are moved with compassion Jesus looked at this man and He didn't see him for what he was, a paralytic He saw him for what he could be how do you see people next one is not particularly a group it's an individual but it's a but I want to be a part of that individual's group it's the ones that I call the cleansed the cleansed he said son your sin are forgiven and then the contentious had their words, but the contentious didn't win the day like the contentious will never win the day. And one day, the contentious will stand before Jesus and give an answer to him. Jesus said, your, son, your sin are forgiven. And then after the, the, the tribe, he says, man, here's what I want you to do. So all you contentious people, so you'll know it. So you'll know that the Son of Man has come. Here's what you do, buddy. You get up, you take up your mat, and go home. Wow. You see, the lame man was placed by faith before Jesus. Believing that Jesus... Now, you listen. This man, by faith, was placed before Jesus... Believing Jesus could fix him. I know it's not politically correct to say we need fixing. We've all heard and read, I'm okay, you're okay, and we all tend to believe it. Even when I first saw that book, I'm okay, you're okay, my thought was, says who? This culture may tell you you're okay. This culture may tell you and me that we don't need fixing. But the Bible says, our Lord's Word says, we're all sinners. We all are sinful. We all need cleansing. We all need help. We all need hope. And we all need a home in heaven. And it only comes through Jesus. The only way for a person to be cleansed, to be clean, to be converted, is to be placed before Jesus by people who are concerned for that person. Did you know that when people are, when needy people are placed before Jesus accidentally or on purpose, he takes care of them? Think about it. This man was placed here on purpose. Get up. Take up your mat and go home. The woman caught in adultery by all those contentious religious people. She was placed before Jesus too. I personally believe that when Jesus sat down and wrote in the sand, I believe he was right in the sins of all those guys. And if you read that scripture, you'll discover that those men left oldest to the youngest. Do you know why? Because if they were going to throw a stone, the oldest one had to throw a stone. He had to throw the first stone. And when everybody was gone, he looked at this woman and he said, where are your accusers? She said, nobody's left but you. And he said, neither do I condemn you. But now don't miss this, folks. He was not, he was not putting his stamp on her immoral lifestyle. Here was the condition of her forgiveness. Go your way and sin no more. We need to embrace that in the 21st century. It's not go your way and do what you want to do. It's go your way and sin no more. Jesus released her. She was brought before somebody and they wanted her condemned. And instead of condemning her, He released her. He stepped to the tomb of Lazarus and He said, Lazarus, come forth. But He didn't just stop there. He said, Turn him loose and let him go. You see, that's what Jesus does When he cleanses our life. To this man, he said, get up. This man had been on his back all his life. Get up. It doesn't even say that Jesus took his right hand and pulled him up. It says he did get up. And he had been carried in, but now he was carrying out. Get up. And then he said, take up your mat. And so he, this mat had been his life's blood. It had been what he spent his life on and his, what he had been carried in on. And now, think about this. He was carried in as a burden and he carried out his burden because he had been cleansed by the power of God. What a picture of salvation. And then Jesus said, hey, go home. Scripture says he walked out in full view of everyone. He went home and he became a walking witness, a walking example, a walking model to the power of Jesus. I just was thinking about it. Has there been, a, or is there a better example of someone who becomes a witness for Jesus than the person who's been changed by Jesus? Has there ever been a better example of of how Jesus expects His people, His children to be viewed? It says down here immediately, verse 12, He got up, picked up His stretcher, and went out, watch this, in front of everybody. He walked in unable to walk, and He walked out able not just to walk, but to carry His bed. And now... Carrying his bed, he was talking about how he was walking because of the Lord, for the Lord, in the Lord. It was all about Jesus. You see, when Jesus changes us, it becomes all about him for us. Listen, he couldn't walk for us. We used to be unforgiven. We used to be on our way to hell. We used to be on our way to an eternal death. What about now? What is seen in your life? Can people see the same in your life that they saw in that paralytic man when he walked out, in that leprous man that was healed, in that demon-possessed man who was exercised? Can the people you come in contact, can they see in your life? Well, I want you to get this picture. Now, we're almost done. All these groups are here. The crowd, the curious, they just, they're just just there to see. The concern, those men and the people that came with them bringing the man to Jesus. And then the contentious that Jesus never does it right. And then the compassionate where they look on someone with need and have a compassion. And then then as he gets cleansed, the cleanse. Have you found yourself yet? There is one more group here. And you can be in multiple groups. Because I'll tell you, I'd like to be in the concerned, the compassionate, and the cleansed, as well as number six, the convinced. The convinced. This group can be found in the last part of verse 12 after our Lord does His perfect work in a life. By the way, <clears throat> number one and number six could be the same group of people. Well, Who started off in the crowd wound up being convinced. Watch this. As a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God. Wow. A couple of weeks ago, Brother Terry, as he does from time to time, Stuck a book in my hand by Chuck Swindoll. And it's not always a Swindoll book, but I'm very grateful when it is a Swindoll book. And I started reading that thing. And one of the things in his first chapter that Swindoll has us to, to remember is that the chief end of man is to bring glory to God. I want to say that again. The chief end of man is to bring glory to God. And we're good to bring glory to God on Sunday when Dana's playing the piano so good and Mike's beating those drums and uh, playing those drums. I'm sorry, Michael. And and we've got our guitars and our keyboard going, and we're just singing, man. It's good to bring glory to God on Sunday. But when you bring glory to God, you have to bring glory to God your entire week, your entire life. You see, the truth is. <clears throat> People will come to Jesus and they will be changed when they see a change. In the Bible, in our story today, they witnessed the power of God by the evidence of a changed life. And I want to say this to you, a life that is changed by the power of God will always convince the crowd. And it comes when we make Jesus the center of our attention, the center of our lives, the center of our lifestyle. People will be just like we read in verse 12. They'll be astounded. And they won't be able to say anything else except we've never seen anything like this before. We've never seen God do anything like this. Years ago, I heard a preacher say, God is disappointed with America. I have to tell you, I cannot subscribe to that statement. What I will do is amend it to say God is disappointed with his children who make up the churches in America. You see, behaviorally, God doesn't expect anything from people who are lost. But he expects everything for those who have been saved by his power. God doesn't expect people who have never received Jesus to convince anyone. But could it be, could the reason be that the crowd is not convinced about Jesus? Could it be that they've not seen the authentic Jesus in so many years that they don't know what He's really like? Could it be that we're not portraying Jesus? Could it be that they look at our lives and they don't have any reason to say we have never seen anything like this? All of us have heard that old phrase the proof is in the pudding. Do you know that's not the full phrase? The full phrase go back to the 15th, 16th, 17th century particularly Don Quixote and that and the fourth phrase is, the proof of the pudding is in the eating, which means you must eat it. The proof that convinces the crowd to come to Jesus is found in the people who have been changed by Jesus. So I close with a question that I began with. The question today is, who am I? My question to augment that is, which group do you find yourself in? Are you just curious? Are you just part of the crowd? And I come take my place on Sunday morning and I go do my thing the rest of the week. You know, I was thinking about this. Sunday's supposed to be the Lord's day. It is by design. It's the Lord's Day. How do we view Sunday these days? i tell you how we really view them. You may hate me for telling us. Sunday is the second day of my weekend. In fact, if I got a Monday off, I got a three-day weekend. Really, I thought Sunday was God's day. Oh, but, 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 yeah, yeah, that's right. You don't, your argument's not with me. Your argument's with Him. It either is or it isn't in your life. Are you part of the crowd that just gives God a day here and there whenever it's convenient? Are you a part of the contentious crowd? Every time something happens, your first thought has got to be something negative. Why would they do it that way? <laughs> Don't look so serious. we got contentious among us. I can be contentious at times. Or are you part of the concerned? I can take you to a half dozen men that I know very well in this church from talking privately that they're concerned about the lost people in our community. I'd like to say that we as a church are totally concerned about the lost people in our community. But that starts one heart at a time, that starts one action at a time. Are you concerned? I mean, really concerned? I'm not talking about concerned about the offerings. I'm not talking about being concerned about the attendance. I'm talking about concerned about eternal destiny. I'm convinced we'll focus on getting people to Jesus and Jesus changing lives. The attendance, the offering, and all the rest to take care of itself. Are you part of the concern? If you are, you're probably part of the compassionate because you see people like they are and where they are. Some people are not a part of the concern of the compassionate because <laughs> they've never been cleansed. Have you been cleansed from the inside out? Have you allowed Jesus to change you on the same order that he changed that leper when he healed him, on the same order that he changed that demon-possessed man when he exercised the demon, in the same order that he healed this paralytic? If not, why not? He stands with open arms calling you, because He knows who you are. Let's pray together.